No, uh, all right, so my, my sneaker for tonight is uh, Mike C. Mike C. Um, Mike C. Pretty much, I started going to uh, Alcoholics and God on Thursday night, and um, my sponsor, actually a while back, Mike took him through the steps, and um, and so my sponsor took me through the steps pretty similar way to, to how Mike did it. You know, book, book, big book, recovery-based, you know, you read the book, you follow the book, you pay attention to what the book has to say, and it carries you through the steps. Um, and the, the thing I like about Mike is every time I show up, every week I show up on Thursday night, there's energy in the room. Mike's always there with a smile, and he's there to serve, and he's there to help people, and it's not about, uh, you know, it's not about him. He, like, lays himself aside, whatever's going on, and he's just there, and he's a light in the room. And, um, you know, I know he's serious about this thing, and he's had uh, quite a bit of experience with it. And um, so I thought he'd be good to come out and, and share his uh, share his story and uh, really how this program works. So, everybody, Mike. No way. Ah. Howdy. Howdy. That's a North Dakota hello. Um, hi, I'm recovered alcoholic. My name is Mike Chase. Mike. My last name is if I'm ever in the hospital. Oh, God, I hope that never happened. But you can look me up and bring me flowers and cash and stuff. That would be sort of fun. You know? Um, you know, I'm past that age of recovery where I, I, I think about what I'm going to say when I come to a meeting. But I'm in that phase of recovery where it's like, God, I hope it's something different this time. Yeah. It's like something coming up, you know. I see there's kids here tonight, so I won't talk about my farm animal adventures and stuff like that. <laughs> Actually, it was my counselor's adventure with farm animals. <sighs> I, I, I was in Alaska eight years ago, and um, it was me, my mom, my two brothers, and... Um, being a good alcoholic, while we went into porch to go and uh, had the options of going and seeing glaciers and grizzly bears and streams and ride trains through gorges, is that the word? Mm -hmm. I decided to go in town to look for a meeting. You know? And uh, so my, my mom and my brothers went off to see the adventures of Alaska. I, I saw enough from the boat. And there was this one meeting I went to in uh, Skagaway, perhaps was the name. And I got there just in time for a lunch meeting, and it was a big book meeting, and the folks there were a combination of fishermen, uh, shopkeepers, and uh, some other things. And it was a big book meeting, and I just slid right in, and I was at home. I'm just hearing these people talk from the book, and you know, when you hear people talking from the book, no matter where you go, it's the same thing. It's straight from the book, and I was, I was loving it, and, I'm, and I was just excited to be part of that. And after the meeting, we started cleaning up... Uh, a bunch of them ran off to go to work, but me and this other gentleman who was a fisherman was there, and we started cleaning up. We're talking, you know, I'm trying to... Back, back then, I was general service DCA, DC, something like that. And, um, you know, I, I was sort of uh, bragging about our 762 meetings a week, and mm -hmm. he was telling me how they got eight in the area. And um, I think I'd rather go to his eight than a lot of them here. But... Uh, Afterwards, we're getting ready to go. He says, would you mind doing a quick prayer with me? And I said, sure, I'd love to. And he dropped to his knees, and I dropped to his knees, too. And I thought, oh, great, we're going to do a third-step prayer or something, you know. And uh, 
if you guys want to repeat with me, this is what the, the prayer is finally distilled down to, and I always use it to get me out of the way and get God flowing through me. So if you just want to take a moment and get quiet, or, and you can just repeat after me. God, God let your love shine through me. Let your love shine through me. Like a fog light. Like a fog light. So those who are lost, so those who are lost sick, sick, and dying, and dying, can find your love through me. Find your love through me. And the one he said probably had a lot more going on in it, but uh, that's what I remembered the most. And, and I got up and I said, where did you get that prayer? And he says, well, you know, I'm a fisherman. Well, actually, an Alaska accent, which I can't do. Um, and and he, he described the prayer as if you were on, a, on a, 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 like a crab ship and you're out in the Alaska Lake River, what do you call it, Alaska? The Bering Sea, which is really rough. And he says, I imagine your boat's full of crab and you're heading back and you got the storm and the wet. You guys remember watching that movie, The Dangerous T- Catch and stuff like that? And the waves are crashing over and ice. And he says, we're all downstairs, you know, chilling out in the, the, the crew cabin. Captain's up there and he's taking us home. You know, we're just sitting riding the waves, you know, bouncing around. And he says, imagine you're going over the waves and also one of the engines just sees. <laughs> And next thing you know, you're going over these 20-foot waves, just barely making it over the top. And you're struggling, and everybody's getting a little nervous. You know, we've got a good captain. And then a couple moments later, the main generator goes out, and the lights go off, and the little emergency lights go on, and the boat's just fighting over the waves, and everybody's getting a little nervous. Matter of fact, they start pooping in their pants, some of them, you know, because they go running up to the pilot house, and they see the captain up there with some big lighter on this old compass, trying to figure out where the, where the, where the harbor is, where safety is, you know. And, and he, he instructs those guys, put on your gear and get up on that bow and look for the fog light, the flash of the harbor. Because off to the right of the rocks, off to the left are more rocks. Or we might even go in the wrong way, right? So he's got a bunch of guys, these big burly fishermen up on the bow just fighting the, the waves. And they're going over the top and they're looking and swooping back down and up over the top. And this big giant burly guy, I mean this big burly guy, he goes like, hey, you guys, I think I see the light over there. Now... He's jumping up down screen with F-bombs all over the place. It's that block. It's the fog light. It's the fog light jumping up and down, you know. Because up to that point, these guys were dying. They didn't know whether they were going to make it home safely. And he said, isn't that what it's like when you come into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous? You know? Am I going to get somebody who's going to, like, throw living sober at me and give me some assignments and say, go have coffee with somebody? Or am I going to get somebody who gives me the unadulterated pure Alcoholics Anonymous? Or am I just going to get nothing? So if you've got it, pass it on, he said. And I was like, cool. So I sort of adopted that prayer as my way of life. You know, I like the serenity prayer, but it's so me, 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 right? You know? And the fog light prayer is about other people. And that's why we're here. That's at least why I'm here. You know, I was given the gift of recovery two times. Which is why I always want to have a different story. Oh, I got two. Oh, double fist or drinker again. Yeah. Vodka and Everclear. Cool. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I got two. I'm coming up. I had 15 years of sobriety, um, and then I went out. And now I'm coming up on 12 years of recovered. And it's like, I, I got to share a little bit of each, you know? But then again, I also had to share how I got there in the first place. So. So I grew up in Minnesota. My parents were great, loving, kind, amazing, loving people. I was raised in a, in a, in a, a good Christian family, Protestant, and uh, I, I loved my life. You know, when my mom looked down at me as a baby and she just thought, oh, 
that child, he's got so much potential. I wonder what gifts God has given him. My job as a parent is to nurture him. He's going to be so kind and considerate. He might be a doctor, a lawyer, maybe not a lawyer. He's going to be a salesperson. You know, this guy could be anything. She didn't expect me to grow up to be a lying, cheating, stealing, low-life, self-centered, inconsiderate, backstabbing, drug-dealing alcoholic, you know? <laughs> it's like, oh, got a Trump. Yeah. Let's put this one back in the oven, you know? <laughs> but, you know, they, 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 they get what they got. And for the first few years, I was, I was an amazing little child. I'm going to church. I'm a family member. I love my friends. And then I started to discover if something fit in my pocket and it wasn't mine, well, it became mine, you know? And if I got caught, I finally learned how to lie a little bit. Oh, I just keep it safe, you know. I started learning how to manipulate by crying and getting what I want, you know. So that loving child of God, happy, joyous, and free, unselfish, caring, slowly turned into that lying, cheating, self-centered, inconsiderate. I was the kid in the neighborhood who had, you know, the occasional black eye, the often the snuggy, the very often swirly, you know, that's where you stick your head in the toilet and flush it. That, that was fun. That's where I got this great hairstyle from, I think. I started drinking socially on a six years old. Anybody else get any other six year old drinkers? Seven? Eight? Nine? This includes the, and, the, and all the other stuff, you know, sniffing glue and stuff like that, okay? Uh, eight years old, nine years old, 10 years old, put your arms up, 11 years old, 12. Okay, watch this, 13 years old. Something about eighth grade or seventh grade, right? 14, 15, okay. That's, this is going to be funny. Okay, who waited to actually be 21 to start drinking? Yes! <laughs> so, 6 minus 21 is what? I had 15 years of social drinking on you. Boom! You know? And my social drinking when I was 6 consisted of my mom having dinner party, me sitting down when they went into the other room, and me sipping on the drinks and eating the appetizers and act like an adult, you know? Getting dizzy, liking this stuff, and then going upstairs and just sort of uh, falling asleep. I'd occasionally do dance shows and sing for the parties, and they, I really had no consequences. It's hard. You know, I didn't have a driver's license, and I didn't have a job, you know? It was sort of fun. I didn't turn into, like, a hard drinker until I was, like, nine. That's when I discovered getting drunk. I was over at the, the friend's house, and... Uh, I don't think I'd gotten a Snuggie or a Swirly yet because it's still pretty early. We went to this house to figure out whose house we were going to vandalize because we were like these, these upper middle class white thugs that went around in, you know, egg houses and stuff like <laughs> soaked windows, Ooh, you know, teepee. Um, and I was sitting there and we were talking and um, I opened up this, this dishwasher and in the dishwasher was this bottle of, of it looked like a red label. I'm going to call it Smirnoff because I don't know what it was. But I picked it up and it's like, I'm looking at it. It's like, oh, and they look at me. And for the first time, I was like the center of attention, not because I was going to be strung up or swirled or beat up. It's like, they're thinking, is he going to drink that? Was, I'm thinking they're thinking, am I going to drink that? And I'm thinking, Yep been drinking for a while now. <laughs> nine years old. Who's nine years old in Rome? Anybody nine year old? Okay, I've always wondered what I looked like. But uh, I chugged that thing down and oh, instantaneous spiritual experience. I was the center of attention. I was everybody's best friend. I was the hero. I was like the bomb. That was a double bomb. Bang, bang. That night, you know? I'm falling down the stairs. I'm chatting. I'm phone. I go home. On the way into the house, I barfed all over the back porch, all over the wall. I stumbled up to bed, fell, passed out. 
I come to in the morning. I love using the word come to. I don't wake up very much later after that. I come to and I hear my mom whooping on my older brother. You're too young to be drinking. You should smack, smack. But it wasn't me, mom. Yes, it was, you know. Because I was the good boy and he was the troublemaker. Um, excuse me. He got caught. I didn't. Let's put it that way. So um, cha-ching, right? No consequences. Damn, I like that. And it was the best night of my life. It's like it beat anything I'd ever done. I just couldn't wait to do it again. Now, I drank like that for probably till I was 13. Um, 13 is when phenomenon of craving. That's when the body says, you can you know, get more, get me more. Start 13, that's when my phenomenon of craving start kicked in. And the kids around me would notice that when Mike Chase starts drinking, hide your beer, hide your bottle, because I'm going to go after it and drink it. You know, they, they probably should have said something like, you know, Mike Chase, you don't drink like the rest of us. When you drink a certain amount, you just lose control and you just can't stop drinking. But my friends sort of like watching me get drunk and see what mayhem I cause. So unlike the man of 30, you know, he had friends who warned him, don't drink because you're going to lose your life. And my friends are like, ha, watch him. So um, that went great. Started to go to college. Um, oh, before college, oh, I can't forget this story. This is the best story ever. Um, my suicide story. So I, um, I was at a party, got scandalized. Ah! You know, oh my God, I can't see these people. I go home the next day and decide I'm going to kill myself. So um, who's tried to kill themselves unsuccessfully? Good. Keep it that way. Um, I take the Cutlass Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, cool station wagon, um, drive it out to a field. My intention was not to leave that field that day. I was not leaving that field. The, the, the shame and guilt and remorse that I, that I went through that night before, I was never going to, I could not do that. So I put the, I brought it, I was really, I was I'm mechanical. So I brought a vacuum hose, taped that to the exhaust pipe, put it through the back window. I had a nice bottle of suicide, you know, a little bit of scotch, a little bit of vermouth, a little bit of sherry, a little bit of, you know, that I stole from my mom. And I got some pot. I'm, can we say pot here? Pot. Good. Woo-hoo. I also sniffed glue. Yeah, glue's not a drug, so I can talk about sniffing glue, can I? And gas and stuff like that. But um, so I got my booze. I got my marijuana. I'm listening to Cat Stevens. I'm I'm writing my suicide letter. Oh my God, you're all gonna miss me. You should have been. I know that that pathetic moping we do when we're trying to kill ourselves. And I'm drinking, and I'm getting a little woozy, and all of a sudden I realize oh, yeah, my bottle's getting empty. And if you're an alcoholic, and if you suffer from phenomena craving, that's a problem. It's a big time problem. So suicide, shame, guilt, remorse cannot. It's like no, I gotta go get some more booze. Turn off the car, put the hose in the car, and get out of there. Every time I went to go kill myself, which were numerous times because I like did a lot of stupid stuff, um, I never was successful. Now here's the deal: I grew up with a bunch of people who were heavy drinkers, partiers, you know, rock on, you know, Vikings, and. Um, I would have done what I did, I would have what happened, and I would have gone out to that field and not been an alcoholic, I would be not here today. Because I never would have suffered from the phenomenon of craving. I would have drank myself into a stupor and died, because I would not want more. Which is why young Bill's story, when they talk about the, when the stock market crashed and everybody else who's not alcoholic is jumping out of the window because they, they know better, you know, their life is over. Bill's like, I'm starting to run out of booze here, I better go get another drink. So he goes to the bar and he going to get through it. And that's the cool thing about it. When the poop really hits the fan, we just have a drink because we think we're going to get out of it. We're, we're really good at, at uh, dealing with issues. So I go to school. I'm, the, I'm, I'm catering keggers. I'm drinking more than everybody else. I go to college. I'm drinking more than everybody else. I actually made a few classes. I made three, three classes, uh, a computer class, a arts class, and a 
American history class, one hour of each. The whole time I was there, so I got kicked out after a year. Um, my mom was concerned about her little boy. You know, he seems to have a problem. So she bought a house a couple blocks away for the to flip, actually, to keep an eye on me. And uh, that sort of turned into just a, a party house. I got a job as a bouncer in a biker bar. That was fun. I like that. I, I learned how to drink. You know, you think you can drink in college. Go to a biker bar. They, they teach you how to drink. And that's where I learned the joys of, oh, you know, give me another bottle. You know, I learned that you can go two to three days without that nasty sleep, you know. And, and I'm on fire. I'm loving this thing. And then I got, then I got into a punk punk bar and that was fantastic you know and and i decide and next thing you know i'm in the distribution business well i'm actually in the consumer distribution they're giving me stuff to sell i'm doing it all so i'm owing all these people money my life is falling apart my parents have are wondering what's wrong with the house all my roommates have pretty much you know written me off because i'm just this drunken mess i'm inconsiderate i'm lying i'm cheating i'm stealing i'm manipulating everybody i used to be the the king of uh, the you know i was a bartender in a punk bar um, and I was the, the distributor, so I'm going to the best parties, and people just really liked me. And then I started showing up at parties, and people are like, hey, thank you very much. Um, there's the door. You know, I turned to that lone wolf Bill Toxwell. I was, I was, you know, I was being used for what I had. Even, and just here, here it is now. Go, please. You made, a, you made a mess of yourself last time. So I'm going through these suicide thoughts. I'm thinking, what should I do? Um, one night, I was, I was sitting there doing some lines and shooting and drinking tequila, and I decided to call the cocaine hotline because I thought something on Channel 7 about that. I called them. They put me on hold. They did a few more lines. Forgot about his on the phone. And, but I just remember looking in the mirror often. Right? Like, don't put anybody on hold. They call. I said, put, no. But I remember this looking in the mirror. Just incomprehensible demoralization. Just wishing I was dead. I couldn't kill myself. You know, I was waiting for some, like, tragedy, a plane to crash in my house or get shot going in seven. You know, something just to end this miserable life I had. And my parents out of the blue say, hey, we're going to Europe. Would you watch the house for three months? I go, diddly do, sure. You know, I have, my house's power's got shut off, I think. I know the gas is going to get, by the way, not having gas in Minnesota kind of sucks because cold water, oh, my God. Um, so I went to their house. I'm driving them to the airport. And on the way to the airport, mom reaches back with a couple of checkbooks and says, here's some checkbooks for emergencies and, you know, emergency checkbooks. I'm going, okay, you know. By the way, I was the kid who stole from mom. I went to go visit, hey, mom, how's it going? And she's in the kitchen. I go sneak into the, you know, into the closet. For some reason, my mom used to leave extra money in her purse and her pockets for me. I thought that was so nice of her, you know. Like money in pockets and going through it. Oh, it was God. So um, I drop off at the airport, and I immediately have an emergency, and I go write a check for $50, and I talk to Mr. and, and I'm, I'm off. Two months later, I'm up to eight or 9000 1984 money. You know, this is real money. Uh, three weeks later, I'm up to $12,000, and it's, I'm, I'm, I'm effed, right, you know? Um, three choices. Steal a lot more and go to California and never see everyone again. I was like, right, rational, aren't That's we? That's plausible, right? That's plausible, right? Yeah. Um, kill myself, but that never worked, you know? Or, um, oh, that's right. I had friends. We had these guys in junior high high school. They angel, you know, they did real drugs and stuff. And they went to St. Mary's in this treatment program. And they came back, you know, and they're like, great students. And nobody wanted to hang out with them anymore. And um, so I've... I'll just go to rehab. I'll do that treatment thing, you know? 
So I'm supposed to pick him up at the airport at 11, at 8 o'clock. At 11 o'clock, I wake up to my parents, you know, shaking the bed. It's like, all right, come to. We're downstairs. It's like, uh-oh. So I go downstairs, and I look up, and I walk in, and the first thing I say is, I'm an alcoholic, I think, and I'm a drug addict, I think, and I think I really need help. And they smile, and I also $12,000. But um, if they had happy dances back then, my parents would have been doing the happy dance because they knew something was wrong with their baby boy. They didn't know what it was. This is the 70s and 80s. For you to be an alcoholic, you really had to stick out because we had three martini lunches. We had parents were throwing kegger parties for the kids back in the 70s and 80s. You know, there was a different world, you know. Today, you smell like beer from the weekend. They put you into a 90-day program, you know. Like, like God. You know. <laughs> You smell like a cigarette and you're off to rehab, you know? But, uh, so, it, so, so there was excitement and then the excitement was in the air. And also a few minutes later, we get this random phone call from this random lady from Hazleton. And she's asking my mom about her books. And, I, and my mom goes, oh, my God, my son just came out of the closet as a drug addict alcoholic. Can you guys help him? And they said, well, bring him in. So I went and I got evaluated. I was labeled that day alcoholic, drug addict, multiple, and a bunch of other things that they used back in the 80s, you know. But I was labeled alcoholic and addict. Like, oh, that's what it is. Cool. I knew what it was. Four days later, I, I was told to go in four days later, and my parents kept catching me sneaking out of the house to get drunks and do bumps and stuff like that. And they're like, why don't you just stop drinking? And I'm thinking, isn't that why I'm going to rehab? <laughs> Duh. You know, so I went, I went to this Hazleton place, and uh, they immediately gave me a bunch of packet crap, and they're in this therapy, and they're like, blah, and all this stuff. Um, they had an AA meeting, and I remember the AA meeting. Who watches, um, oh, God, what's the name of that? The, the Charles Schwartz. Who's seen Charlie Brown? Okay. So I'm sitting, thank you. So I'm sitting in this AA meeting, sort of. They brought it in, and they've got the steps. They're supposed to be back here. Talk to the decorator. Yeah, but they should be back here. Um, and I'm looking at the steps, and I hear these guys going, <laughs> and I'm not hearing anything they're saying, because I'm still sort of detailing. I'm coming out. But I did hear them say, ask God in your prayers to keep you sober. Take it to God. And I, I kept hearing. But see, here's the deal. I was a good little kid with God when I was young, but then I became this low-life, self-loathing, self ooh. And God didn't want anything to do with me. And every time I went to God, there was this, in my mind's eye, this wall with this just, you're not good enough for me. I built this wall because you're part of those people. You're, you're an exile from God. I'm thinking, oh, this kind of sucks. Because God doesn't want anything to do with me. Well, give it a try anyways. So um, one night I was, I think it was my second or third night, I got up on my knees in bed. Now, mind you, I'm 24 years old, right? I went in and got evaluated, and they put me in a adolescent care unit with a bunch of 16, 17, and 8-year-olds. You know, I was winner at 24. And um, I'm in bed. I'm on my knees. Hey, God, um, I wasn't sure if I went there to get sober. I knew I was there to get out of trouble, but I wanted some change. I didn't really know what was going on, you know. And, and I got on my knees, and hey, God, I'm here. I don't know what to do. And then in my imagination, I saw the wall. And I saw the barn door, and I saw God's light on the other side. And I'm thinking, ah. Oh. And I went to go open the door, you know, and the door was still shut. But, damn. And I hear this pull on the door. Because I've been pushing on the door all these years. So I just pulled the door open. And I had one of those white light things, you know. I was bathed. All of a sudden, the door was gone. The walls disappeared. And I'm in this warm, loving light. And I... Oh. I wake up the next morning, 
And that morning, I was one of the kindest, most considerate, loving, most understanding, unselfish. I was so annoying. You know, I was captain recovery. I was community leader. And, you know, it was a 28-day program. They let me out in 26 days. They sent me to a three-month halfway house. They let me off after two months uh, because they said, this is too much. We need to get you out in the real world. And I uh, moved into a three-quarter way house. And uh, I ended up coming. And I ended up going to um, special interest AA up there, which is kind of interesting because it was basically therapy, reading Living Sober passages, and uh, talking about dates and um, stuff. And we went to the Hazlet, we went to the Hyatt Regency, fancy place downtown. Then we went down clubbing, you know, and picked up drunks. I was like, cool, this is weird life, you know. I'm getting sober, I'm still going to the clubs. And the problem is, people kept coming up to you going, hey, Mike Chase. <laughs> You got some? I'm going, no, I went to rehab. They said, well, you can still hook me up, can't you? So it occurred to me, they occurred, I probably should get out of town. So I moved down to Florida and I got involved in Lambda, which was back in the eight, night, 84. It, the AA was so much different than it is today. The, the, the big book was sort of pushed off to the side. We were deep into living sober and as Bill sees and open discussion meetings and processing and, and, and occasionally 12 and 12. But uh, that year, and a half, I was walking with the sunlight of the Spirit. I was still this wonderful, kind, loving, considerate person. But then I started realizing, you know, there's a lot of fancy people in Fort Lauderdale. There's a bunch of fancy cars and fancy houses, and I'm this struggling little waiter, and I start realizing that if I start stealing at work, I get a little more money, if I start manipulating lying. And, and I slowly started becoming that person I was before, but I wasn't getting high, and I wasn't getting drunk. And I was going to lots of meetings, and I'm chairing meetings. I'm getting involved in all the communities. We're having coffee parties. We're going on convention runs, you know. Somebody a couple times, I think they might have suggested, hey, you want to do the steps with this Mike Chase? And I would go, certificate of completion from Hazleton. <laughs> also, white light guy, you know. I'm cool. I'm set, you know. In the meantime, I'm staying sober off of sprees. I'm staying sober off of just staying busy, you know. Um, Thirteen and a half years later, I'm starting to get suicide. I'm sort of cut off going to meetings. Fourteen years later, you know, I think I'm going to meet once every six months. I, I ended up going to my 15-year anniversary, picked up my chip, and a couple of weeks later, I decided to go up to Minneapolis and kill myself because AA wasn't working. I was back to where I was before I was before I was. And I went up to Minnesota, and uh, my intention was to get a suite in the Marriott, buy a bottle of Cristal, chug it down, take a bunch of second alls, and uh, check out. But I thought maybe I should try AA one more time. So I went to this big meeting. I'm visiting from out of town. I'm the only guy that nobody knows in this room. You know, I walk in, I get a bunch of nods, you know, but I'm sitting in the corner, you know, and, and nobody's coming up to me. No one's reaching out to me. You know? Now, I know today I probably should have raised my hand and said, hey, hi, my name's Mike Chase. I'm visiting from out of town. I got a reservation at the Marriott. I'm going to kill myself on Tuesday. Does anybody got a better idea? You know? But who's going to do that, right? So, if you ever see anybody come into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and you don't know them, you don't recognize them, go up to them, reach out to them, because you don't know what's going on. They may look cranky and upset, but you know... It's our job to reach out. Hey, come and sit with us. There's the restroom. There's the coffee maker. Nice to see you here. You know, talk to them. You know? 
So what I did is I ended up going to a coffee house and I'm hanging out there in my final days. And, and I met somebody, this artist person, and they decided to go have a, uh, he was going to go have a beer at the Uptown Bar and I was going to have a cup of coffee. And we're talking and he's like, so you don't drink? Goes, no, I haven't drank in 15 years. I don't drink. I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he says, really? What's that like? He says, well, I've never had spiral crut, dye roasted. You know, they had all these craft beers. I've never had one of those things. Can I have one of those, please? And it's coming at me. And I'm thinking, not a good idea. Not a good idea. No, not a good idea. Oh, that's right. They have a seat waiting for me. I can always go back. Yeah, I'll just have a drink. And if it doesn't work, I'll go back. So I take that thing. The nine-year-old liquid spiritual experience came back. All my problems vanished. It was like, oh, why did I wait so long? Because, you know, I thought I was working Alcoholics Anonymous for 15 years. I thought I, was, I, thought I had done the program. Of alcohol. I had done therapeutic, social, psychological, not Alcoholics Anonymous. 15 years. How many people did I sponsor? Zero. How many times did I go through the steps? Well, they don't come pack a crap, so never really. You know, I think I tried AWOL once, but got bored because I had the certificate of completion. Um... So I went on a, about a five-year run. 2004, my roommate, um, for some reason, has a problem with me not sleeping for three or four days and spending all the money on drugs and not paying bills. It's like, started panicking. He called my parents and told them I'm doing drugs again. And I go to work that day, and my boss pulls me aside and says, you know, I got a call from your mom today. We're having, a, we're having an intervention for you this Friday. Get your shit together. And I'm like... Oh, okay. No See, it's sort of cool. It's funny. When I started drinking at age six to when I went to Hazleton at age 24, it never occurred to me like to go to not drink ever. You know, all my problems were never drinking. You, know, you talk about people, many of us went a whole year without drinking. It's like, no. I want to go a day. I, I, when I got my legally from like 18 to 24, I could count the number of days on one hand that I didn't <laughs> drink. It never occurred to me to not drink. So I got, I got this white light experience in Hazleton. I, got, I was labeled addict alcoholic, you know? But I didn't know what it was to be alcoholic. I didn't know what the steps were. I didn't know what Alcoholics Anonymous was. I just thought it was a bunch of us hanging out, fellowship, and having fun. Woohoo, you know? And it almost killed me. So I come to this, come to this dry dock. And, and, I, and I go check in, and these people are just loving me. They're, they're the nicest group of people. And I don't want to say you know, too much about it, other than the fact there wasn't that many alcoholics in the room. A lot of problem-heavy hard drinkers are able to stay sober on the stuff I was doing. You know, they, they weren't big on doing the steps. It's all about service. It's all about fellowship and hanging out with each other. And you've got to talk about your problem or you're going to drink and that type of stuff. And for some, from 2004 to July... 22nd, 2006, I probably should have picked up maybe 25 white chips. I was once told that if nobody caught you, that still counted and you should still pick up a white chip. And I was like, so the, I think I picked up like five white chips in that time. Um, I was really convinced that I wasn't an alcoholic because I didn't know what alcoholic was. And I was waiting for that white light experience again, you know, to get, ah, saved. And, um, I'm really getting frustrated. I'm doing the best. I'm, I'm going and hanging out with these people. These people just loving me, and it's great. And I'm general servicing, and I'm involved in service. And then if nobody's looking, I'm having a couple of drinks, doing some bumps, and 
And one weekend, um, I heard a friend might be coming back to town, so as a good friend, I went and bought three eight balls and a couple bottles of tequila to hide under, not to use. It was in, when he came to visit, you know, I was going to hide them in the house. And, and that same weekend, I ended up doing them all. Well, I didn't do them all. That night, Friday night, I'm sitting, on, uh, sitting, sitting there half-baked, and uh, the phone rings, and by the way, never pick up the phone on a run. <laughs> but then again, pick the phone up on the run, because I'm alive today, because I did pick it. So I'm sitting, oh, just sort of half-baked, watching some weird show. And, and it's my friend, he's visiting, he's in Agrula, up by St. Martin, and it's like, I picked up, oh, ah, how's it going? I'm trying to act sober, ah. And he says, are you drunk? And I'm like... No, the meds are unstabilized again. I'm working with the shrink, you know. And <laughs> he goes, uh, oh, my God, he hangs up. And next thing you know, my sponsor calls me. Rah, 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 rah. It's like, ah. And then he hangs up. My grand sponsor calls me. Rah, 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 rah. And it's like, I am convinced that the AA SWAT team is going to swoop in any minute, you know. They're, I'm hiding the bottles. I'm snorting up the eight balls. And, and, and they never showed up. And I came to Monday morning. And I knew at that moment that I was going to drink myself to death, that I just was one of those unconstitutionally incapable type of folks, you know? So that afternoon, I went to the dry dock, and I, I threw out so many F-bombs to these kind, loving people. I say, you tell me not to drink between means. Well, guess what? Bomb, bomb, I drink between means. They said, you don't have to drink if you want to anymore, Mike Chase. And I said, well, I don't want to, but I'm still drinking, you know? Service keeps you sober. I'm your general service dude. I'm getting drunk still, you know? And, and there's this guy in the back, a little short guy with knobby little fingers, Ross, who we had, he's, he's the guy who brought me to this meeting, by the way. Mike Chase, I'll bring you through the book. And I'm like, <laughs> he's got duct tape on his book. And, you know, he's at work with me. He's on the phone. So have you thought this through? Have you prayed about it? You know, he's talking to all the sponsees all day. I'm just thinking, this guy's kind of weird. But it occurred to me I was going to die. I had, I, I had no choice. I never thought that I, I... I found out that night that I've never done Alcoholics Anonymous. I was on the outside. I was here for the fun and stuff like that. But I never did the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I was labeled alcoholic, right? Ooh, i got to do this quick. Hmm. So he read the doctor's opinion with me. Me and him sat down. It was an assignment. He sat with me and explained stuff. And for a while, for about that first hour, I was this giddy little schoolgirl. I'm an alcoholic! Oh my, no, I'm serious. I know, but no, I'm an alcoholic. Because I was labeled by somebody else. But by reading the book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I found out what an alcoholic is. I suffer from the allergy. God, did I have the spiritual malady. And that mental obsession, cuckoo, you know, I had them all. And he brought me through the book, brought me through the steps, one-on-one, no assignments, he sat there with me. We talked. He brought me to God. I, I, I found out what the program of Alcoholics Anonymous originally was and how, you, and how a lot of people tend to do it. I had a spiritual experience of the educational variety. I, I, I no longer consider myself to be a lying, cheating, stealing, no life self-centered, inconsiderate, backstabbing piece of... I'm a kind, considerate, pretty nice guy most of the time. You know, I'm broken. He brought me through the entire step process. I got to the other side. I have a relationship with God today. I have a life of service of others. It says in the book, little, just in case you haven't heard this before, five times in the book it mentions specifically intensive work with other alcoholics is required for continuous sobriety. You know, Wow. I have a relationship with my God today. I have, I, have, I have a fellowship family that I hang out with. I bring people through the book the way my sponsor did. 
You know, and there was a time where I thought, well, this is kind of like sort of weird. Where's this whole book and stuff come from? And there's this guy, Clarence Snyder in Cleveland, who was uh, Dr. Bob's sponsee. And Dr. Bob uh, was doing all the sponsoring, doing all the magic, all the step work. And uh, if, you move, if you moved away and you tried to do it from memory, you sort of screw up, right? And so they came out with the book, and Clarence just started reading the book with his guys. And that's where the success rates of 80 90% come from. 50% who tried stayed sober at once. 25% after some relapses stayed sober. And a few of us got sober more, you know. And I can say that today when I look at my sponsee family. Those are the numbers I have today. I got grand sponsees, great grand sponsees. I got like five generations of sponsees. So the shit in the book really works. You know, I was uh, 15 years of living off of sprees, lying, cheating, stealing, but not getting drunk. If you don't get drunk today, I was successful. I was such a POS, you know. I look back at the guy I was and the guy I am today as two different people. I've had four lifetimes, right? God has blessed me with some amazing friends. Um, I got a great house. I got a lot of fun toys, but I also have a serious, serious way of life of living to service for others. I take this AA darn serious because I'm tired of watching people die. I'm tired of watching people be given a given a assignment to go read something, and that's it. Take time, sit down, sit this guy, take them out and talk with them. You know, get these. There's something about Bill W. And Dr. Bob, they're in this little room, two dudes sitting almost knee to knee, Bill talking about what it's like to be an alcoholic, and Dr. Bob going, that's me, that's me, you know? That's the, ma- that's the magic of Alcoholics Anonymous. I never saw Bill like, well, let's fill up Madison Avenue and just do this big thing, you know? The magic is one of us talking to another one, developing that relationship, developing that trust, so when that fifth step comes around, I don't give a hoot that I tell him about the stuff I did, because he knows it already. And it's a man I trust because I see him living the life. Um, I'm supposed to shut up now. Um, if you want to know how I got sober and how I stay sober, come to my home group, Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group, uh, Thursday Night Alcoholics in God, which is kind of a fun meeting. Or uh, hit me up and talk to me because uh, that's why I'm here. Thank you very much.